Hey, America, today's podcast is brought to you by Warby Parker. You can go to warbyparkertrial.com slash Han for a special offer, and I'll tell you more about it later in the show. Week 48 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast, and it's gotten off to a rough start, America. I know a lot of you out there are wondering what comes next, so let's talk about it. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the battle. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. So we got a market in free fall. We've got an election in doubt. America is on edge. And I'm going to tell you to be calm. Be calm and carry on. I know that it's scary. I know, you know, schools are closing. People are wondering if they should shake your hand. You know what? Bump elbows for a couple of weeks. It'll be okay. You don't have to go stock up on years supplies of toilet paper you'll be okay america we're not running out of toilet paper anytime soon and i know that uh some of you are worried you might get stuck in your house for a couple of weeks i I get it i get it um people are on edge and i don't want to stoke that fear i really don't and uh i know that he's not doing a great job right now i really i mean i He's he's not even doing the job, right? He's out golfing this weekend. Again, hanging out at Mar-a-Lago, telling people to go to work if they're sick. But I am hoping that they get it together in that White House and uh, try to figure out a plan here because clearly they don't have one. And, and I don't think that they're communicating effectively with state and local governments where most of the action is here. There's nobody in charge. And for those of you who, you know, hate government or, you know, for your friends who hate government, because I know most of the people here believe that government can make a dis- difference. And that's why you listen to me. Um, tell your friends that the lack of experts in the White House advising this president is why we are in the situation we're in right now. Now, look, uh, 99% of you, if you get it, are going to be perfectly fine. Um, I know 1%, you don't want to be part of that 1%. That's a 1% you don't want to be part of. Um, just don't fret. People die all the time, right? For a lot of reasons. This is another reason. And it's scary as all hell. 
And mostly it's scary because you're being told almost every minute of the day to be afraid. Now, the market's collapse is being caused by this for a couple of reasons. One, you're seeing large parts of the economy shut down because of this. China not being able to export goods. Italy just shutting its borders altogether. Israel now imposing a 14-day quarantine on anyone coming to the country. Anyone coming to the country, 14 days. Um, It is slowing down commerce. And as a result, the market has dropped like a stone. And I don't think it's done dropping yet. You know, forget about any one day, right? You know, you might get a one day. Like last week, there was the Biden bounce on Wednesday. I'm calling it the Biden bounce. Call it whatever you want. But then the next day, it went back to dropping. And it dropped the rest of the week. And it dropped dramatically on Monday. It was a one-two punch of the oil prices being slashed. Uh, and, you know, oil sl- oil prices being slashed will cause oil companies to, to file bankruptcy in some cases. Not all of them, but some of them. And that fueled some speculation in the market and dropped everything. And then you have the coronavirus. So it's a one-two punch going on there. And, you, you know, bottom line is there's no real leadership coming out of the White House to calm people down. So the panic is just getting worse and worse and feeding among feeding upon itself. You can tell I don't edit a lot, right? Because you get all the misspoken words here. I got a great guest today to talk about some of the other problems in our system. Uh, Former Senator Russ Feingold of McCain-Feingold fame will be joining me in just a few minutes to talk about, you know, his new venture, trying to make sure we have courts that uphold the rule of law. Amazing that we need an organization to really focus on that. I'm a lawyer. Some of you don't know that. Uh, I'm I'm an attorney. I, I went to law school and I always thought attorneys, no matter what side politically they were on, believed in the rule of law. And I think that the last couple of years, uh, we've seen the courts go away from that. So I'm looking forward to having that conversation with Russ. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Pre-taped it a couple days ago. Um, but before we get to that, let's let's talk a little bit you know, more about what's going on in the country. Let's talk about the primary, right? I, 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 my plan for this show today was to talk about the primary. But the events that are constantly unfolding in our democracy, make it hard for you to plan even these pre-recorded podcasts, right? I, I I always joke on my radio show that you know my plans are thrown out the window five minutes before I come on the air because something happens and then I got to talk about that, and that's been ex- especially true during the Trump era. But podcasts are pre-recorded, and you want them to be kind of green, right? I don't want to talk about stuff that you know by Friday doesn't matter anymore. I am pretty sure that this coronavirus will still matter on Friday. I'm definitely sure that what Russ Feingold talked about will be not only be important Friday, but you know, probably for the next 10 years in this country. But here we are, right? We're trying to, we're, we're in this election cycle and we have this cloud hanging over it. Joe Biden had a tremendous win last week. I know a lot of you downloaded my uh, bonus episode that I put out on Wednesday morning last week about the results of this Super Tuesday primary. And I'll probably do more of those during election season. I might not do them on, on Wednesdays because my producers say that do it on Thursdays so that people have a chance to download your Tuesday podcast. So if you're going to do an, a, a special bonus episode, just wait a day or two. And I'll probably do that uh, the next time. Maybe I'll do it on Thursday 
Um, but, um, you know, he, he had this tremendous victory on Super Tuesday. Tremendous out of the blue, out of nowhere victory. And it's now just really down to him and Bernie. Elizabeth Warren dropped out. Um, all the other ones dropped out. Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Steyer, Bloomberg. We talked about this on the bonus episode. So it's down to Joe and Bernie. And Bernie was expected to have a wide lead after Super Tuesday and instead is down about 80 delegates at this point. California has been counted pretty much. Almost all of it. Almost all of their delegates have been allocated and he's down 80 votes. 80 delegates. I think it's all comes down to Michigan. And I said this on Wednesday morning, if you listen to my bonus podcast, and I'll say it again now. It all comes down to Michigan. And once again, he is behind in the polls in Michigan as he was to Hillary Clinton. But I think it's different this time. I think that one, I think pollsters learn their lessons from the last time. That's part of it, right? Pollsters make a mistake. They don't count certain groups and then, you know, they learn from their error and they change their ways. The polls are pretty consistent across the board that Biden's over 50 and Bernie's like around 38 in in Michigan. Now, if Bernie loses Michigan and last and let let me just point one other thing out. The polls for Super Tuesday were all pretty much wrong, right? Biden had some late-breaking success. There's really been no movement between Super Tuesday and today, except for a couple of people coming out and endorsing Joe Biden. Uh, Former presidential candidate Kamala Harris came out uh, yesterday and endorsed Joe Biden. Uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson came out the other day and endorsed Bernie Sanders. Um, I don't know how much all that matters, right? I think the momentum, the train is already moving. So I think that the polls will be a little bit better. I wonder if they captured all of the movement towards Joe Biden. Some of the polls still have Warren in them. That might be good for Bernie. It might be bad for Bernie. I don't know. I mean, conventional wisdom says that all the Warren votes go to Bernie. I don't believe that. I think I've been talking to a lot of Warren supporters who are not very happy with the way Bernie treated Warren. And frankly, Bernie was the name brand progressive, super progressive. Why weren't these people going to Bernie? It's kind of almost like Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders four years ago. You assume that when Bernie gets out, all of his voters will go to Hillary. That didn't happen. There was bad blood. And I don't know. I think Elizabeth Warren ultimately is going to endorse Joe Biden. Uh, I don't know why she hasn't done it yet. Um, But I think that if Bernie loses Michigan, there is no more. Look, there's no case for him to be running anymore. He won't be able to win the delegates. He won't have a plurality going into the convention. He won't have a majority of people of votes cast because he's going to get clobbered in a lot of states. He's going to get clobbered in Florida. He's going to get clobbered in the other Southern states. He's not going to, he's not going to pick up votes on Joe Biden and he's not going to pick up delegates, even in states where he went, where he's winning. Like he may win Idaho. He may win Washington state, but the polls there are 50, 50. You know, he really needs to get like a 60-40 or a 70-30 kind of victory to kind of make up the ground that he's lost. So Michigan was a miracle for him four years ago. He won Michigan against Hillary Clinton. That really gave him a reason and a motivation to stay in the race. Michigan was later last year. It wasn't, I don't believe it was this early in March last year. 
or not last year, four years ago. If he loses Michigan, I don't know what his theory of the case is. His theory of the case has always been that he would there would be greater voter turnout and then he would win because of the greater voter turnout. Well, you haven't been able to do it in the primary. So why would you be able to do that in the, in the general election? So if you win Michigan, I'll let you live to fight another week or two. But if you lose Michigan, I think you need to do what's right for America, Senator. And I think you need to get out of the race. If you win, I am not going to be one of those people who say you should get out. And I'm not saying get out today, obviously. There's an election on Tuesday. As we are, as you are listening to this broadcast, if you get it on Tuesday, and I really do appreciate the people who download it immediately on Tuesday morning. I love waking up on Tuesday morning and seeing you know, uh, lots of downloads. So I really do appreciate it. And please tell a friend. If you like me, tell a friend. But I think that... Um, you know, if he wins Tuesday, if he wins today in Michigan, he should fight on for at least another couple of weeks. See what happens. See what happens with some of the states voting on the 17th. See if it makes a difference. But if you lose, even if it's 51-49, Bernie, if you lose the state that really gave you a reason to stay in it four years ago, that really surprised everybody, right? Up until that point, you won the you were you know you were doing well in caucuses. You were like splitting delegates with Hillary, but you weren't really winning states, big states. This is a big, diverse state, Michigan. It's not huge, but it's big enough. It's got a big city. It's both uh, you know racially diverse and. Uh, regionally diverse. There's different types of communities. There's urban, there's suburban, there's rural, there's exurbs. You know, there's, there, you know, it's got, Michigan's got a little bit of everything. College communities. So if you win that state, I'll give you a pass. I won't call for you to get out. I'm not going to be one of them that call for you to get out if you win that state. I'll let you stick around. See if you could do well in Florida. Right now you're getting killed in Florida. I mean, there's no... There's no uh, no way you're winning Florida right now, but maybe Michigan changes that for you. So if Michigan changes that for you, if you win Michigan and then you have a good week on the 17th, then stick around. See what happens. But don't stick around if you lose Michigan. Don't be that guy that stays too long at the party. Don't be that rock star who went on one too many tours. Right? Sometimes you got to quit while you're ahead. People love you, Bernie. People love you. People want to hear you sing those songs right now. But if you stick around too long, nobody's going to want to hear it. You can't be that guy. You can't be that guy that stays on tour just because you love to hear the roar of the crowd. Eventually, that's going to go away. You got to do what's right by America if you lose. Get out and unite because Donald Trump is an existential threat to this nation. And if you don't believe that right now, What's going on in this country right now? If you can't believe that Donald Trump at the helm right now is a danger to every American and the world, frankly, you better wake up because he is an existential threat to this country and sticking around just to prove a point is not good. And my, my worry is, is that it just appears to me that Bernie's the kind of guy that would rather be right than win, right? We saw this. Look, he had a chance to lock this down early. 
And after winning a really big victory in New Hampshire and Nevada, Nevada, clear victory in Nevada, he goes on 60 Minutes and he defends his position from the 1980s about Fidel Castro. I'm sorry. You know, I'm an aggressive progressive. Aggressive because I want to win. I want to win, Bernie. I want to win so we can make changes to this country for the people. I don't need to be proven right about everything I've said. You make it very clear that you need to be right. And you are wrong about Castro. And it is probably why it this whole party has turned against you at this point. And no, it's not the establishment that's voting. African-American women in South Carolina are not the Democratic establishment. They're the Democratic base. And the base is speaking very loud. And they want something more normal. So do your best in Michigan, Senator. Do your best. I'm rooting for you. No, I'm not. I'm not endorsing anybody. But if you lose, do what's right. Do what's right. Do your best, but do what's right. And what's right is to unite. Now, I'm rhyming. I didn't even mean it. So, uh, (laughs) anybody want a peanut? Anybody? Anybody? Tweet me if you know what that's from. All right. (laughs) I got a great guest, as I was saying. Russ Feingold. He is the new president of the American Constitutional Society, um, really doing great work uh, to to try to make sure our courts are upholding the rule of law. Some people compare them to the Federalist Society on the you know, but they're like the left wing version of the Federalist Society. Um, Senator Feingold, uh, clearly one of the giants in the United States Senate. We all are familiar with the McCain-Feingold bill, which was an attempt at campaign finance reform. You know, he's, he was a real progressive pr- crusader, former senator from Wisconsin, will be joining me on the other side of this break. But before we go to break, I got to remind you, you know, WarbyParker.com, excuse me, WarbyParkerTrial.com is a great place to go if you are in need of prescription eyeglasses. You can get a free, try it at home, five pairs, five days, absolutely free when you go to WarbyParkerTrial.com slash Han. That's H-A-H-N, WarbyParkerTrial.com slash Han. You get this trial. You bring these glasses. They, they send these glasses so you don't even have to go anywhere. There's there's dozens of styles to choose from with prescription lenses. They send them to you. You try them on. You try them on with your suits. You try them on with your, your clothes that you wear to work, the clothes you wear to the gym, the clothes you wear around the house. You have your friends and your family check it out, tell you what you think, what they think about it. You look at it in mirrors that you look at yourself every day, not one of those store mirrors that are kind of crazy. If you like them, you keep them. You send them $95 a pair with prescriptions. I mean, that's that's good in and of itself. You don't like it. You put it in the envelope they send you, and you send it back to them. No fuss, no muss, no obligation. WarbyParkerTrial.com slash Han. And for every pair you buy, they will donate a pair to someone in need. How good is that? They'll donate a pair to somebody who needs a pair of glasses, who can't afford glasses, who's trying to get ahead in this world and needs to be able to see to do that. So go to WarbyParkerTrial.com slash Han and try out five pairs for five days, $95 a pair, free trial. Love it. 
Check it out. All right, I'll be back right back with former Senator Russ Feingold. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. Joining me now, I am very excited, uh, Senator, former Senator Russ Feingold, who is the titular author of the McCain-Feingold Campaign uh, Finance Reform Act, uh, a former senator from the great state of Wisconsin, where we are heard, is my guest tonight. He is now the newly named president of the American Constitutional Society, which is an organization trying to make sure the courts care about law and order, which I don't, I don't think there could be a more worthy cause in the age of Trump. Senator, how are you? I am well. Thanks for the nice introduction and uh, appreciate your uh, mentioning that I'm involved now with running the American Constitution Society, which is very concerned about uh, protecting the, uh, the rule of law under all the attack it's getting and advancing progressive legal change through uh, a very diverse and effective group of of uh, lawyers throughout the country. Uh, this is this is a phenomenal thing, and, and you know what? I didn't even know about this till I read about it in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago that you were appointed to it. So this is a big deal that they have you now at the helm. Um, tell people exactly what your plans are and and how they might even be able to get involved with this group. Well, this is a, a group that's been around for you know about twenty years, uh, but it, what it essentially is recognized is that the the right in this country had a program to try to basically take over the federal judiciary uh, with a lot of young judges who would uh, live for a very long time yeah. and try to block out uh, a lot of people who would be, frankly, more open-minded uh, uh, judges. And uh, we feel that somehow progressives have to have a plan over the long term, a pipeline of uh, bright young lawyers uh, who are starting in law school and in their early career and others are identified as people that would make a good choices for a Democrat president or even a Republican president, uh, because it is not a good idea to have a primarily ideologues, young ideologues on the court. And so uh, we are interested in creating that pipeline. We want to have a network between there's a student student chapters in 200 law schools across the country of the awesome. organization ACS. There are uh, lawyer chapters in most of the 50 states, and I want to see if I can help kind of bring these people. Uh, coordinate even more than we've already done. We, but we also have to have a real conversation about some of the aspects of the legal system that people have taken for granted. Um, the ACS has already helped lead this conversation, but I want to increase it. And that is, what about judicial tenure? The mm. fact that you have uh, people, uh, lifetime appointments on the Supreme Court in particular, and now pe- people can live to be 90 or 100 years, and if somebody goes on the bench at 35, is this really what the founders would have been? No, <laughs> that somebody was been so. So this needs to be discussed. 
in a serious way because things really have turned out in a way that makes the situation with the court, frankly, rather bizarre. And um, so those are some of the things we're going to be getting involved in. So, you know, I I was a young lawyer. I'm a lawyer. uh, And when I was in law school, I remember the first week I was on campus being approached by the Federalist Society. Now, I was already a Democratic Party activist. I'd worked at conventions and campaigns and things like that. So I was laughing when I got the, the flyer. But it frustrated me that there was no progressive counterpoint to that. And I'm really excited to hear about this. You know, I, I'm not I, I'm not as as engaged in my legal world as I once was. And and now that I found this group with you, I'm going to I'm going to go back to St. John's Law School. Hopefully they've they've got a chapter here and I'm going to I'm going to speak. I'm going to do I'm going to I'm going to do whatever you need. Well, this, I, is, this is what we want, this kind of connection between. Uh, that kind of a chapter, a person like you who, is, who cares about these kinds of issues. And, you know, the organization is not, you know, specifically the, supposed to be the opposite of the, uh, of the Federalist Society, but the reality is, you know, that organization is very well funded by some of the most powerful and wealthy interests in this country. So, you know, there's sort of a, a situation where it's not as easy uh, for ACS to and ACS chapters to, to do the kind of programming that I'd like to see them do. And one of my things is going to be to try to develop the organization in a way so there are more resources uh, for ACS programs and more uh, awareness of ACS uh, on law school campuses, but also uh, among the public at large, uh, that there really is a progressive-oriented organization that believes in the independence of the judiciary and the independence of the Justice Department. So and, and that and that the pardon power shouldn't be abused. Yeah, that there is a voice out there challenging the attack and the rule of law. I think there's going to be about a dozen new laws and maybe even a couple of amendments to the Constitution when this president is gone, because the things he has done to the executive branch of this government need to be undone. And I think in some ways he's shown the limits to our Constitution and laws in this country where they are no longer effective in providing a proper check on the executive branch, especially given the fact that he's got a court system that just wants to just say, yeah, do whatever you want, Mr. President. Well, Chris, I think you're exactly right. I mean, some people, apparently there was a website about how Donald Trump's teaching us about the Constitution because <laughs> there are all these provisions that, you know, there were sort of norms. Yeah, uh, the emolument clause, and there were norms about pardons, and, and there are various things that aren't constitutionally mandated. But you know, there is a growing concern that some some of the things in the Constitution may have to be clarified, yeah, to avoid uh, executive abuse of power. And you've said it very well. I mean, as lawyers, we respect precedent, right? We respect that if that's things were idea. done certain ways, that's how they should be done. And when you go to court, the precedent usually matters. This president has shown us when it comes to executive power, precedent like the pardon office, precedent like cooperating with Congress, they're gone. That's exactly right. And that's that's why people feel that not you know strictly the changing of laws. It's the assault on these things that make the rule of law work. Yeah. You have to be able to rely on some of those traditions. Yeah. You have to feel that when you go to a court of law or whether you have encounter with a law enforcement officer, whatever it is. There are certain things that will be respected as a general rule. And this, uh, this attack has made people wonder if the whole legal system is going to be on the level. Yeah. And that affects every single American, not just lawyers. People end up interacting with the legal system. Their whole ability to pursue happiness depends on a credible legal system that's on the level. And I think that confidence that people used to have in our legal system is being shaken. 
Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I'm I, I'm I'm shocked by the way things have gone the last couple of years. I'm also shocked that lawyers have gone along with it. I I used to think that even conservative lawyers had some respect for the rule of law. Maybe they they interpreted it differently than I did, but at least they respected it. Particularly, I want to say that I think there are a lot of conservative lawyers that are very upset. Yeah, and I, some of them are beginning to stand up, and we're going to encourage that. Good. All right, I got about a minute and a half left in this segment. I want to ask you, my, my former boss, Chuck Schumer, got into some trouble this week when he, he suggested that Kavanaugh and Gorsuch would uh, face some uh, some heat for their votes uh, to limit choice in this country. Senator, to his credit, took those words back today. And I just wonder, you know, like what your thoughts on things like that, particularly given the environment we're in. Well, obviously, Senator Schumer is somebody I respect a great deal. I served in the Senate with him. He's very talented. He's a passionate guy who cares about this country. He did get carried away with his remarks. He knows it. Uh, but, you know, people intentionally interpret it as being some kind of a threat of violence. Yeah. Which, you know, you know, Chuck Schumer, that's just uh, absurd. It's completely I absurd. I, would, I, I think what might have been said uh, and could still be said is, you know, people like uh, when, when you consider how both uh, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh got in the court, uh, pretty shaky. Yeah, pretty, particularly pretty Gore. Dubious. I mean, particularly I, I Gorsuch. I mean, you know, the whole right. That whole thing was a theft of a of a of a Supreme Court seat. I would think people like that would be a little reticent and a little more respectful of precedent, considering that you know they're coming on this court after all these decades of precedent, and they're after the way they got on the court. It's like, wait a minute, um, maybe you should you know spend some time deferring to long-standing precedent instead of uh, going with a slash and burn approach. Yeah, it so I is, think that's a fair statement. It's a very fair statement. All right. Stay where you are, America. All right. You don't have to go anywhere. Here's part two of my interview with former Senator Russ Feingold. I am back with former Senator from the great state of Wisconsin, Russ Feingold. And I, I want to just talk to you for a minute about Wisconsin and and uh, and the and the role it's going to play in 2020, but not so much in partisan terms. I want to just talk about the state itself and like what's driving people there. I mean, nobody that I've talked to will know it better than you. I had a great conversation with former Congressman Steve Israel, who was the head of the DCCC last couple of weeks ago about some of the counties there and how they they vote. But uh, you lived it for your entire career for the most part. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about what's going on there. Well, it's very unclear what will happen in, in the, the elections. We have always been a state that goes back and forth. But we used to have a really good tradition of bipartisanship, or at least uh, civil disagreement, that sort of ended in 2010 uh, with the uh, advent of the Walker administration there. And they're coming in with the Koch brothers' ideas about busting unions and cracking down on a lot of the good bipartisan things that have been done in the past. So we've had a rough period of, of divisiveness. Uh, that we hadn't seen for a long time. Now, uh, the 2018 elections went the other way, uh, although the state legislature is still wildly malapportioned, gerrymandered. So even though the the Democrats won the governorship, the lieutenant governor, the attorney general, state treasurer, uh, the the Democrats actually lost ground in the state legislature. And they were getting more votes in Wisconsin, and they would still lose. No, so there, there's something terrible there with the legal system that would uphold that kind of political uh, gerrymandering. Yeah. And it's had an enormous impact. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens in 2020 uh, and whether it, it changes it. Oh, this is something that was such a pride for us in Wisconsin, that we were a state of cooperation and 
that we used to talk about when the state legislature, the people, the state senators would argue with each other, Republican versus Democrat, and they'd all go have a beer together. Right. You know, that really was the way it was when I was in the state legislature. I felt, I, I kind of felt like it was like that in the U.S. Senate when I first got there, but it wasn't like that when I left. Probably more whiskey than beer. Yeah, yeah, but. definitely. <laughs> Not really. Even when I got to the Senate, it was a pretty stiff kind of place. But the idea, yes, it was civil. There was a, for most of the years I was in the Senate, there was a, you know, it wasn't the sense that every, you were either a Republican or a Democrat. Generally, people were like, well, we're all in this as senators and treated each other with, with respect. And there were many bipartisan coalitions. Um, you know, mine with John McCain was very well done, known. Right. Very conservative Republican. I was pretty liberal Democrat. Um, that was respected in those days. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, people get threatened. Uh, for losing their seat if they cooperate with the other side. It's insane. So we need to reinstitute a spirit of bipartisanship. And frankly, uh, in my role as head of the ACS, um, I'm hoping, uh, the American Constitution Society, I'm hoping that there'll be an openness to thinking about, uh, you know, bipartisanship working again instead of a winner-take-all uh, brutal approach like the right has used uh, in recent years. So let me ask you about the issues there and like what drives the voters and what would drive turnout there? I mean, you know, this state, well, it is a, a, a I would think predominantly blue collar state as it makes up most of the voters there, um, a prideful state. Um, you know, what's going to drive them to the, to the polls? Well, it really varies on, on, on the part of the state you're dealing with because the, the state does not have sort of a, a city right in the middle like the sort of the, the Twin Cities in Minnesota, everything sort of revolves around that. We really have very distinct areas of the state. You know, the, the populous area in uh, southeastern Wisconsin and Milwaukee, and then you have the Fox River Valley, which was very much an industrial area, at least in the past. And then you have, the, you know, the great, beautiful northern areas. And then there's this whole area that's pretty populous now, right near Minneapolis, where mm. a lot of uh, Minnesotans actually uh, actually live, people that work in Minnesota. And then you have some of the more rural area in the West. So sometimes I've described it as, you know, five different distinct regions that really don't always talk to each other. Hmm. And so in terms of what the issues are, it probably depends if it's unless it's just pure partisanship. It often can be a regional issue Wow, uh, that, that can be important. But, you know, things like education, obviously, health care. Yep. Uh, you know, loss of jobs in some of these communities where the jobs were shipped overseas. You know, I voted against those trade agreements, and Wisconsin got hit pretty hard by things like NAFTA and GATT. Those are all issues. But, you know, I'm not running for office now, and I'll leave that to other people to figure out uh, what what's going to drive people. What I'm going to try to do uh, as the head of ACS is to get people to think about how important the courts are, yeah. how important the justice system is if you want those things solved. You cannot get education reform. You cannot protect jobs adequately. And you cannot, of course, deal with a lot of the environmental issues if you don't have a credible court system. Do you think that voters are tuned in enough to the changes in the court system? No, and it's not really their fault. It, it, it needs to be highlighted. You know, when we did campaign finance, John McCain and I did, we, it was frustrating sometimes to get people to see the connection between uh, huge contributions in politics and distorting public policy. Well, people need to be helped to see the connection between uh, having ideologue judges and the inability to get reforms passed. And we see some of the things that happen with the environmental protections at the court that have yeah. been long fought for. 
being narrowed or weakened, uh, for example, on the Clean Water Act, for example, people need to see that this directly affects things like their drinking water. And, I, uh, and so this is this is the challenge of bringing people into a greater awareness of how important it is that they have a credible legal system uh, that is that is fair to all people. Is there anything that you think you can say or do? Will you guys be active? Will your group be active in the 2020 election pointing this out? We'll be active in general pointing this out. For example, I would like to see uh, the debates, both in the primaries that remain and the final election, include a discussion of, you know, what, what should the courts be like? What kind of tenure should judges have? What kind of justices do they intend to appoint? And I, ACS will be involved in trying to encourage that conversation. You bet. I'm wondering if there really will be a debate, Senator. I'm I'm dubious well, that there'll not, be a debate. That one's out of my. <laughs> yeah, I I know. <laughs> I I, I for one, and I've been saying this a lot, and I don't think there's going to actually be a presidential debate um, this well, there time. There will be a more primary debate. There will be more things can d- be definitely be but more this can be discussed, and it needs to be discussed. I appreciate it. All right. Well, Senator, this has been a real treat for me and for my audience. Where can people get go to get involved with, with your organization? Uh, American Constitutional Society. Just look it up on the web and you'll find it. The American Constitutional Society. Senator. American, Consti- American Constitution Society. American Constitution Society. Hopefully if they go to Constitutional Society, they might get something completely different. So the American Constitution Society. Look it up. At, it's, it, you're at Senator Russ Feingold on, on Twitter, I believe. And I'm going to tweet you out so everybody will know where it is. I really do appreciate you joining. It's been a real treat to me. You're an American hero. Russ Feingold, thank you. Thank you, Chris. Nice talking to you. All right, that's Russ Feingold. You can check out the American Constitutional Society at www.acslaw.org. I looked it up. <laughs> check it out. All right, I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. It was good talking to Senator Feingold. I uh, I have been an admirer of his for a very long time. And I wanted to get him on a couple weeks ago for my first show when my radio show went to Wisconsin. We're now on in every part of Wisconsin for the most part. We're on four stations in Wisconsin. We're in the big cities of Madison and Milwaukee, and we're on two smaller repeaters that get us into the rest of the state. So, uh... That was uh, my impetus for looking him up, and he was very gracious to come on, and I really do appreciate it. And it was a, I thought it was a very insightful interview. Uh, I, I really am going to get involved with the ACS. I think it's a, gr- a group that uh, we should all be thinking about because what this president is doing to redefine the courts is, is amazing, and it's going to be with us for a long time. He's putting judges on the bench in their 30s and early 40s, healthy people who are going to be there for a long, long time. So... Um, you know, that's something that's going to take a while to fix. I think one of the, you know, I, I was very critical of the Obama administration early on. They were very, very selective in their ju- judicial candidates, and they left a lot of seats open. And then when the Republicans took control of the Senate, the Republicans did everything they can to block anybody they were putting up. We we know the, the Merrick Garland situation, but, you know, there were district court judges and circuit court judges that were just blocked by the GOP during the Obama years. And, you know, a lot of that could have gotten taken care of when the Democrats controlled the Senate, but they, you know, look, they did what other presidents used to do. They were selective. They were, they were vetting these judicial candidates thoroughly. And it took a while. This president doesn't vet these guys. And we see that with some of the confirmation hearings. He's not vetting any of these judicial candidates. They're getting vetted for the first time in the U S Senate. 
The Federalist Society is doing the vetting for them, and in some cases, not even that. It's amazing to me what's going on in this judiciary. So I'm really glad that Senator Feingold and others are out there trying to fight against it, and let's hope they are successful. And let's do whatever we can to help them be successful. Go to uh, acslaw.org to find out more about his group. And I'll be tweeting it out when I tweet out this podcast, so you'll get some information there as well. So we got a we got a week ahead of us, don't we, huh? It's going to be uh, another one of those weeks where things are moving fast. So stay on top of everything. I know that you know this is a podcast. Podcasts by their nature don't move fast. But if something changes, I think I will come back. If you if you liked it, shoot me a text or an email and let me know uh, how you felt about it. I really appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate you telling your friends we had another great week. We grow every week. I mean, I know I say this every week, but we grow every week. We're not growing by leaps and bounds, but that's going to happen soon too uh, because you have really helped uh, you know, make me want to keep doing this. That's why I signed up. I'm going to be doing it indefinitely. So uh, thank you for that. Just watch yourself this week. Pay attention to what's going on. Don't panic. No matter what, don't panic. Everything's going to be okay. Have faith in this country. Have faith in your fellow human beings have faith in the in your family and your friends. Have faith in America. I still do. I, I know that I sometimes sound like I don't when you talk about Donald Trump and some of the things he's done and the people who still support him. I, I'm shocked that people still support him. I mean, I'll, uh, here's an anecdote over the weekend. I uh, I send out a Twitter poll about Donald Trump should you know do you trust Donald Trump to handle the coronavirus outbreak? And an hour into it, he was getting swamped, eighty twenty. And, you know, I go on a run. I do whatever else I'm doing. I look at it like three hours later. I guess some conservatives saw that and decided they were going to make a stand right there. And they started retweeting the heck out of it. And when the poll was finished eight hours later, the final score was 94 to 6. 94% to 6%. It got 19,000 votes almost. And it was retweeted thousands of times. Um, like 3,000 times. So they're they're going to fight everywhere they can fight. There are still people in this country that are so devoted to this president that changing facts do not do not move them. I don't think that's everybody that supported him, but there's a lot of people out there like that. And that's why I think it's important that if if Tuesday, you know, or today or yesterday as you're listening to this, uh doesn't go well for Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders got to do the right thing. He's got to do the right thing. We've got to unite. We can't have a divisive primary like we had four years ago. Not going not gonna to help us with the ultimate goal. And I, I've heard him. He's been generous when he says when uh, all is said and all is done, if he doesn't get the nomination, he is going to support Joe Biden or whoever the Democratic nominee is, likely Joe Biden at this point. Uh, but we can't allow these divisive wounds to be dug deeper by a primary fight that we don't need to have. If Joe Biden wins Michigan, Bernie needs to get out. And I'm not endorsing anybody I haven't. I'd be saying Joe Biden should get out right now uh, after Michigan if uh, if things hadn't gone Joe Biden's way last week. I don't want a divisive primary. I want unity. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Unity is more important than the ultimate nominee. Because if we unite, we unite, especially given the circumstances of this country right now, if we unite and we show we can lead and we have plans, 
we're going to get the votes. We're going to win this election. All right. I got to remind you, as always, to seek the truth, America. Question everyone and everything, even me, but especially this president. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.